The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. My name is Tim. I'm one of the pastors here at Temple Bible Church, and I'm excited to get to hang out with you this morning and talk a little bit from Proverbs. Um, We are excited because uh, the kids from Impact leave today for training camps, so if you could be praying for them, we leave this afternoon and then we stay there through Friday, uh, learning all different things about Bible clubs and skits and songs and games and stories, and it's just going to be a fun week coming up. So pray for, there's over 130 students going from here. There's 25 from Grace Bible. There's a bunch of leaders. Pray for the leaders that they'll stay somewhat sane this week as well. Um, We are in need of a few evening drivers still. Uh, We could use help with that in the evening if you're available. Uh, You can sign up out in the lobby. We also need some substitute drivers in case something comes up and uh, someone can't drive that is signed up. So Go out to the lobby there, you'll see the impact booth, and you can get signed up there. So we're in Proverbs this morning, looking at the wicked and the righteous. The wicked and the righteous. Daniel Aiken, author of a commentary on Proverbs, states, you can read the Proverbs like a Pharisee and say, I need to do these things in order for God to love me. I need to obey these practical bits of advice, because if I do them, God will accept me. We should not read it like a Pharisee. We need to read the Proverbs like blood-bought Christians who say, these are not things we do in order to get God to love us. These are things we do because God already loves us. And so we see even in Scripture, in, in the book of Proverbs, long before Jesus came, that there's principles that are passed down from a father to a son, also to us as a congregation, the body of Christ, to see these are things that can be lived out for the gospel. The coming Messiah was, is the one who enables us, allows us to be able to live for him. And even back in Proverbs, we can see these principles of the gospel throughout the book. Let's pray together. Dear God, we are excited to be here this morning to hear from your word and to really learn what you have for us to know and be reminded of, encouraged by, convict us of our need for you. And we thank you for the opportunity to be together as a family. In your name we pray. Amen. So Proverbs is filled with the contrast between wickedness and righteousness. Uh, Just in Proverbs chapter 10 alone, if you look at the words wicked and righteous, they are referred to 26 times in 32 verses. There's a strong emphasis throughout Proverbs on this concept of and the comparison between the wicked and and the righteous. Solomon highlights different aspects of life as he compares these, these, whether it's wicked or righteous. He highlights a lot of different aspects of life, specifically words, actions, and thoughts. You know, God's word has power. I'm waiting for a response. I was hoping, Mark, I picked on Chase last hour. I should have at least heard one amen. God's word has power. Do you guys believe that? Because I know a lot of times I don't live like that. I have his word. I have it available to me. Maybe I glance at it here and there. Maybe right before I go to sleep, I'll I'll listen to it and what God has to say to me. But oftentimes, I don't really grasp the fact that God's word has power. It is living. It is active. 
It's not like any other book you can read. And so I want to do something a little different today. We're going to have some crowd participation. So I need you guys all to stand up. I know you just sat back down, but I'm sorry you got comfortable. But today's not about being comfortable. So you're going to stand up, and what we're going to do today is we're going to read some Scripture together as a body. It's a great thing to hear the Scripture read as a corporate body. So we're going to have some Scripture up on the screen. It's going to be three different slides with three different verses on them. To help with the flow of the reading, don't bother reading the references. We understand all Scripture has references, but we'll skip those just for today. Don't get mad at me. Uh, But, because we know the references are inspired. Uh, So let's see the first one. I'll start and we'll just read together. I'll read with you as we go, all right? What the wicked dread will overtake them, what the righteous desire will be granted. When the storm has swept by, the wicked are gone, but the righteous stand firm forever. The wicked are overthrown and are no more, but the house of the righteous stands firm. For though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again, but the wicked stumble when calamity strikes. The lips of the righteous know what finds favor, but the mouth of the wicked only what is perverse. With their mouths the godless destroy their neighbors, but through knowledge the righteous escape. The heart of the righteous weighs its answers, but the mouth of the wicked gushes evil. The righteousness of the upright delivers them, but the unfaithful are trapped by evil desires. The righteous hate what is false, but the wicked make themselves a stench and bring shame on themselves. The violence of the wicked will drag them away, for they refuse to do what is right. All right, you may be seated. It's a beautiful thing to hear all of us come together and read the Word of God and to recognize that it has power to teach us, to mold us, to shape us into God's image. It's important for us to see that our thoughts, our words, and our actions are all shaped by the Word of God. And through this time today, we will look specifically at the wicked and the righteous and see how that plays out. And one of our three core values here at Temple Bible Church is surrender. You can see the three core values on the screen. The center one there is the idea of daily being surrendered to Jesus for whatever He wants. And so we see that in this passage, living a life of daily surrender involves us recognizing and responding to the fact that we have great potential for both wickedness and righteousness in our daily lives. Because we've been uh, transformed by Jesus, those that have accepted Christ as our Savior, we have the possibility of being righteous before God, not in our own works because of what Jesus did on the cross. But there still exists inside of us this battle like Paul illustrated in Romans 7. He illustrates it a lot throughout that book, this battle that exists between what we want to do and what we maybe know we should do versus what our flesh desires. One of the verses and specifically in Proverbs that we're going to really get into this morning is Proverbs 28, verse 1. So if you want to turn there, Proverbs 28, verse 1. 
It's a simple verse that really challenges us. It's pretty graphic in its description. I heard a sermon on this by John Piper, and it's just some really good thoughts that he had. So I do want to acknowledge, you know, that some of these thoughts here are things that he really convicted me with, and the Holy Spirit convicted me through him. Proverbs 28, verse 1 says, The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Now, some of you, the only thing you're familiar with this verse, the only way you're familiar with this verse is by this picture. I wanted to go jogging, but Proverbs 28.1 says the wicked run when no one is chasing them. So there's that. <laughs> some, I've seen it online. I've seen some of you actually post it. But that's not what we're getting into today. We're actually going to see the true meaning of this verse, hopefully. The wicked flee when no one pursues. You think about that word, wicked or wickedness. Who comes to your mind? Don't say it out loud. When we hear the word wicked, in my brain, when I, when I think about that word, there's people in past history, maybe from Scripture or even history in our, our world today or our nation, I think about, oh, yeah, they're wicked. Maybe for some of you, it's someone, you, unfortunately, you live with or you grew up with. And the challenge for us is when we hear that word, we do this instant association with somebody else. And it's not like we're looking in a mirror and to see, oh, I am wicked. I have that potential to be wicked. And so it's a strong example he gives here that the wicked, they flee when no one is pursuing you know, wickedness, oftentimes, when someone is wicked and acts in wickedness and in sin, it's often based in fear. It's not an absolute truth. There are some wicked people who are just, just reckless and they're abandoned to be wicked people. But most of the wickedness that we experience or that we take part in oftentimes has to do with fears. There's this inherent guilt inside all of us. It's the guilt that is uh, personified when I call my son into the room with that certain voice, right? Your parents have a certain voice that you get your kid's attention with. And on the way toward me, he's explaining that it wasn't him, right? Pointing fingers, something, it was the dog, I don't know, but something that doesn't reflect on him, right? Right? And so there's a lot of fear involved in our wickedness and our choices that we make. Some of the examples would be uh, power, where we eliminate those challenging us. Uh, maybe money. We do whatever is necessary to get more because we're fearful we won't have enough. Maybe status. We, we treat people a certain way or we sacrifice whatever to, to look good, to appear good to others. Uh, maybe it's other things like influence. We manipulate people to have them fall into line to what we want to do or what we want to happen. And all this is based in fear. And so we see the list could go on and on in these examples. But he says here in Proverbs 28.1, they flee when no one is pursuing. That's kind of interesting. And I know all of us can relate, right? Think about 
I don't know about you, but I can relate to this very well, is when a state trooper is on 35. In the city of Belton, they really like to mess with me because they put cop cars out there with nobody in them. <laughs> and it never fails. Like, what do I do? Tap my brakes, right? I don't know about you. Maybe you'd go the speed limit or under. I'm sure I do sometimes too. But for me, it's like, no, I don't even know if I'm doing wrong right now, but I'm still pumping the brakes. Then I look in the mirror to see if they turn the lights on. So they flee when Noah's pursuing, maybe defending ourselves without accusation. When I played basketball growing up, and even if I'm in a league today, when the ref blows his whistle, I'm automatically thinking of an excuse of something I didn't do. Like, I didn't do it. No, it was it. He, he fouled me. He ran it. And it was like, there's all this stuff going through your head that you're already thinking of excuses before it even happens. Some of you are teachers in here. You ask a student to stay after class. Oh, man, how horrible. <laughs> you just, no, my teacher's just nice, but still, it's scary. The principal, oh, come to my office. Oh, no, not that. For me at home, it was like my dad, if he asked to have a conversation in his room, oh, no. I was already thinking as I walked down that hall how many different ways my brother did it or my two sisters, Right? So it's this idea that we defend ourselves without accusation. And it goes back to the beginning of time. It goes back to Adam and Eve in Genesis 3.10. What did Adam say? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden speaking to God, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. So there's this idea that Adam's already guilty. He doesn't have clothes on and he finally recognizes it to the point that now this guilt makes him cover himself. And in a way, he's speaking to God these words, you know, where he's, he's fleeing when no one is pursuing and he realizes I've sinned against God. It's pretty common even for someone to say, you know what, even not my actions or my words, but even my thoughts, where I can't even be alone with my own thoughts because they're wicked. Or my thoughts deceive me, or my thoughts mess with me, and the reality is, yes, they do, because we're wicked. And when we sit at home or we sit somewhere alone and we start to think, oftentimes our minds tend to go that direction when we don't abide in Christ and we dwell in the area of wickedness. So we got to think about this. You know, we've come up with some great man-made or woman-made treatments for this wickedness. Alcohol, drugs, sporting events, being successful in business, getting more attention, or maybe just simple denial. We deny that we're that evil and just continue to do it till we're numb. Our wickedness isn't quite as bad as that person's, so it's not, we don't even call it wicked anymore. It's just something I struggle with. But it's not wicked, right? It's not like that joker over there. Well, no, he's wicked. So we see this wickedness just rear its ugly head. You know, we've had a lot of talk about heroes lately, especially Avengers. I sat through uh, the other day 
a conversation between TJ and Tyler. TJ works with us, and Tyler's one of our residents. And they spent at least 30 minutes straight talking about Avengers and scenarios and all this stuff. And I I fell asleep, I think, five times in the conversation. But uh, Avengers is a big deal right now, and heroes, right? And I heard a pastor in staff meeting, I won't point him out right now, but in staff meeting this past week as we discussed this topic, he said, people who have a grasp on their propensity toward evil have become my heroes. You think about that. It's a powerful statement. We often point to others. We often point to people that have it together, people that look good, people that are successful. And the reality is the best people to follow are the people that recognize the potential for evil in themselves and deal with it and stick closely to Christ and abide in Christ to see without him I am nothing. Without him I am evil. Without him I am wicked. And so it's a powerful statement there. But I know in this sermon it feels like there's a dark cloud, right? It's just wicked. It's all wicked, and it's a point to that. But there's also the righteous. There is the righteous that we can look at in the second half of that verse. The righteous are as bold as a lion. When you are righteous, you get to the opportunity when, when Jesus comes in your life and transforms you, you get to be a living advertisement, a billboard for the gospel. And you get to show off God's love to others in righteousness. And we have some scriptures we can look at based on this righteousness. We got Psalm 32, 1 and 2. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. Hebrews 10, 22, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. 1 John 3, 21, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. So when we truly understand forgiveness, it's freeing and life-changing. It frees us from this guilt. We're sprinkled clean from an evil conscience where we don't have to flee anymore. We don't have to run away because we feel that oppression of wickedness and sin. Instead, we go to the Savior and we trust in Him and say, He paid for this. His blood bought this already and covered me. And your hearts no longer condemn you. Those that are focused on wickedness and the evil that exists inside of them, they see themselves still in jail, in prison, so to speak. And Jesus says, I no longer condemn you. You've been bought with a price, my blood that was shed for you. I love that term, lion-hearted boldness. I love that, that picture that he gives. And there's a number of things I was thinking about when I read that verse. One is a story from when I was in middle school. I think I was sixth or seventh grade. So back in the day in Philadelphia, we had this leader who did uh, evangelism, and he would get these teams together, and we would go, and we would uh, serve in New York City, just about an hour and a half, two hours north of where I lived, and we would go at Christmas time, uh, the dead of winter, up to New York City, and preach the gospel on the streets, 
busy street corners, subways, you name it. It was crazy when I think back about it now, like sixth or seventh grade, I'm up there painting on a paint board and telling the gospel to total strangers. I learned lots of interesting words on those streets while I'm doing these things. And we got a lot of my friends, you know, that came along and did this. But I thought about one instance where we were, it's getting dark. I'm doing my little paintboard thing, last one of the day, and I hear this commotion, and all of a sudden, I, I feel uh, something hit the back of my legs. Like, what in the world? And I look down, and it's a police officer, NYPD. He fell and rolled into the back of my legs. I'm like, what in the world is going on? He kind of looked like the dude from, uh, for you older people, of Family Matters. Uh, if you picture that cop, that was him, okay? You young people, you can YouTube it or Google it. Uh, but he was that guy, maybe not in the best shape of his life. And he tripped and fell into my legs. And then I looked down the street and I see this dude. It was like something out of a movie. He's carrying bags of money and running down the street. And this other cop that was in way better shape chased him down and tackled him and threw him in the back of the cop car. Then he comes back and checks on us. The, the dude that fell into me, he's just like walk away in shame. But this other guy was like, the, he won like Mr. Fitness at NYPD for real and that year. And he was there checking on us. Now, as a sixth and seventh grade boy, sometimes you're just clueless about what's going on around you. And so you don't see where you should be scared. <laughs> I'm almost sure. Throw me on a street corner. Here, put me in a subway. I'll yell at people, you know, and I'll... I'll get my voice up and tell them the gospel, you know, and tell them they're sinners. And... But at that moment, I was awakened to the reality of what was around me, which was danger. And so this guy checks on us, see if we're okay. And our leader, he gets us together. And we had two more days of this mission trip. And he gathers us up and he's like, all right, we're going to do this thing. We're going to pray and we're going to ask God to bless us with courage and boldness and we finished out that trip. And he was just like a good youth pastor. You know, give you, Come on, we can do it, right? But the reality is I was scared and so were my friends. But he kind of led us into this path of lion-hearted boldness in the face of imminent danger. Yet he led us there as someone who trusted that there is lion-hearted boldness that comes as you trust Jesus. And that's just a simple example, but we can look at Scripture and see lots of them, right? People who were asked by God to do amazing things, and they responded in a way like we do sometimes, like me, for real. You want to do this through me? Moses, Deborah, Gideon, Esther, David, Jonah, Mary, Paul, and so many more. Even in history, whether it's Martin Luther or you look at lives of missionaries like Nate Saint, Hudson Taylor, all these great missionaries, even Martin Luther King who faced all this oppression and had lion-hearted boldness in the face of death. And that came as they pursued righteousness. The last example I'll give, I'm going to try to hold it together while I talk about her, but uh, is my wife. When I thought about lion-hearted boldness, I thought about my wife, Candace. 
all the way back, even probably before middle school, she has struggled with severe anxiety and depression. Some of you may be able to relate. Not just, you know, I feel bad today, but to the point that sometimes you don't even want to get out of bed. And struggling with that, even as a high school student, missing class and missing out on things because of this crippling anxiety. She continued to struggle even into our marriage, and the beginning of our marriage was difficult, but also rewarding. And the fact that we came close together, seeking out answers and trying to find truth in all this And she would be gripped by fear, even of the wickedness that that surrounds her. And so, on top of that, being a natural introvert, that doesn't really lend itself to lion-hearted boldness. And so, if I was going to tell her back in the day, when we first met, that she would start a nonprofit, which requires regularly speaking in front of large groups of people, and encountering extremely difficult situations on a daily basis, she probably would have slapped me in the face, said some things I couldn't repeat here, and probably just said, I don't want to be anywhere near you. There's no way in the world she could ever imagine herself doing what she's doing today. And this picture you see on the screen is an organization she helped start two years ago, Foster Love Bell County, that speaks into the lives of children who are struggling and in between homes and and parents who are trying to figure things out and get things together and overcome wickedness to to see a life that's livable and righteousness and encouraging uh, CPS workers and things like that. And I don't say this to prop her up and she would not want me to, she hesitated even when I said I was going to share this to her. But she did appear on a magazine recently, so it's like a celebrity, I guess. But she would want you to understand that that doesn't mean she doesn't struggle anymore. There's still anxiety. There's still at times depression. There's still difficulty dealing with what's around her. But she finds her hope and her passion and her lion-hearted boldness in the gospel, and in a life that abides in Jesus that continues to one thing after another help her get through these things and do something that really makes a huge difference. If you think about your own life, you may struggle, but the reality is this lion-hearted boldness is available to all of us. Recognizing who we are and the fact that we are sinners saved by grace, wicked people that have the potential for great wickedness, but also recognizing that Christ paid for that and we can live in victory every day based on the gospel, based on what Jesus did. You know, the author of Proverbs, Solomon, had a great source of wisdom in his father. Not the best example sometimes, but you talk about a guy who's been through stuff David has been through some things, and he offers some wisdom here to us as we kind of finish up here in Psalm chapter 1. 
Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Verse 3, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, and all he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. What powerful words of wisdom to help us to see uh, a, a contrast there between the wicked and the righteous. The reality is that the wicked, they walk in the counsel of other wicked people. And it's kind of this downward progression. If you see what David's doing here, he's showing a downward progression of wickedness and sin where for a, a little bit we're walking around it and we're kind of in, in and around that wickedness, but then we get comfortable enough to stand, right? And then the final one is where you get just so comfortable in your denial of your wickedness and you just sit and you live in wickedness. The contrast there, of course, is that a righteous person, they walk in the counsel of those who embrace the gospel. They stand in the way of those living to please God. They sit with those who are encouraging to live out the gospel to a lost and dying world. This wisdom that's given in this chapter helps us to see a few things. One being, no one ever sets out to be wicked. They don't wake up one morning and say, I'm going to be wicked today. Now they get to this point where they just are. But no one wakes up and says, I'm going to be a sex trafficker today. But it gets to a point as they progress in their wickedness, in their sin, in their enslavement, that they become more and more wicked and they follow their evil desires. And we are the same way. It's important for us in Mark 7, verse 21 and 22, to understand that the potential for wickedness is in all of us. It says, For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. You notice the different things, the different actions that are in there? And they're all lumped together. Arrogance and murder. Theft and slander. So it's interesting for us to understand this wickedness and potential for it exists in all of us. But the righteous have a deep love for community. And that's a powerful thing that the righteous see, and even David in this chapter talks about a little bit, where there's this communal type thing where you sit together, you learn together, you're encouraged by one another, and you push each other to know Jesus and to live the faith out. I want to wrap it up with a, uh, a story that is one I experienced growing up in Philadelphia with a dad as a pastor. I I've seen a lot of pictures of wickedness and righteousness. I've seen the wicked and how some of them will stay there, just like some of us were in these spots. I've seen the righteous. But there's a picture of a man named Mike who I uh, observed in my dad's church as a young kid who sums up the whole... <laughs> 
spectrum of wickedness and righteousness in his life. This man, as a 12 or 13-year-old boy, started doing drugs and was addicted to drugs. 13, 14 years old, he starts selling drugs regularly on the street to the point that even in high school, he sold drugs to two girls, and in his testimony, he shares this, he sold drugs to two girls, and one of them died in his presence in high school. He would probably tell you if at that time you wanted a definition of wickedness on paper, his picture would be there. And he was living a life of wickedness. And what's great about this story is there's another character in this story who had lion-hearted boldness because of the gospel. A young girl who shared her faith with Mike. Shared the gospel with this young man who was confused, was addicted, and selling drugs just in the middle of it all. She steps in in this lion-hearted boldness that it could only come from Jesus, and she steps in and shares the gospel, and he trusts Jesus as his Savior. Now, Mike, he would continue to go back and forth in his high school years and even early into uh, 18, 19 years old where he'd go back to addiction, battle this thing back and forth. But the community of believers in my dad's church pursued him and they came alongside him and he started even with the third grade education he started serving in the church and he even became a deacon in the church when he started dating the piano player i think we had that happen recently here um, started dating the piano player in the church and this guy who was a drug addict drug dealer messed up got married to this girl, a few years later, became a pastor of a church a few miles down the road. And to this day, there's a picture of him, to this day, 25, 30 years later, he's preaching the gospel, lion-hearted boldness, sharing the love of Jesus with the hurting, the wicked, those who need hope. So for all of us in this room, we can see ourselves in lots of different ways and hopefully we all see ourselves first as sinners saved by grace. That we have that potential for wickedness in all of us. Maybe you're in this room today and you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior. You never come to the point to acknowledge your wickedness and to recognize that you need a Savior to pay for your sin and to give you freedom from that slavery and bondage. And today can be your day to trust Him as your Savior. Some others in this room may be still over here living a life of wickedness. Even though you've trusted in Jesus, you're still enslaved and you can know that today you can have freedom. That that righteousness can be alive inside you as you abide in Christ like that chapter says, like a tree planted by rivers of water. You can be fed by God through the Holy Spirit from His living Word. Maybe some of you are also in this room like me who have been at this for a long time. And maybe you get a distorted view of yourself because you think you've arrived. 
I mean, you're not wicked anymore. It's just something you struggle with. That pornography addiction. That gossip. A lot of different things I could go down the list, but those are just, no, it's not that big a deal. Not recognizing, no, this is wicked before a holy and righteous God. So I'm going to pray. We're just going to have some time together in your seats where maybe you can just pray and talk to God. Maybe confess the things that you recognize that the Holy Spirit's brought to your attention. Maybe today even trust Jesus for the first time. Let's pray together. Dear God Almighty, we praise you that you didn't leave us alone in our wickedness. That you sent your one and only Son to pay the price for our sin, to give us new life, to allow us to live in freedom. I pray, God, for anybody in this room that doesn't know you, that even as they sit in their seat today, that they can know that they can trust in you, confess their sins to you, trust in you as their Savior and Lord. For those of us in this room that continue to battle wickedness and things that just overtake us, Lord, I pray that you'll give us boldness like a lion to face this sin. And pray and read your word and abide in you and to get in a community, biblical community that encourages us. I pray that we will really see ourselves for who we are. Not to beat ourselves up, but to know that we can only depend on you and only rely on you for strength, for hope, for peace in this dark world. I pray, God, that as we go out today, that we will live in light of your forgiveness and share that forgiveness with others. In your name we pray. Amen. You guys have a great rest of the week. You're dismissed.